Let's just pray before I begin. Lord, as we come this morning, we thank you for the light of your holy word. We pray now that you will shine that light upon us, that we may see clearly the way wherein we should walk. For your name's sake, Amen. Yes, Advent Sunday. It's coming Sunday. What's coming? Well, Christmas, of course. And the weather's doing its very best to remind us. (laughs) We've been talking about waiting this morning, but for the younger generation, it's not really going to be a time of waiting the next four weeks. Well, it will be, yes. They'll be waiting. They'll be waiting with eager anticipation and rising expectation and perhaps counting off the days on an Advent calendar. The one time in the year when they really have a way of marking time. But I guess for the parents, it's not so much waiting, is it? It's dashing around, as we've heard. That's why we've got this theme, this advent, of, of remembering to stop and, and, and slow down a bit, because Christmas does tend to be an exhilarating treadmill of rushing around, trying to get ready in time. And for those who are dashing around thinking of Christmas is coming, it may come as a surprise to know that for at least 300 years after the time of Christ, the church didn't do anything about annually celebrating the birth of Jesus. Easter and Pentecost were there right from the start. and You read about that being observed in the New Testament itself. But Christmas, no, it just didn't feature on the calendar. That didn't mean there wasn't an advent. There was an older advent. Awaiting not for Christ to be born, because that had already happened, but, as somebody told us earlier when we were defining what advent's about, it was waiting for Christ to return, to come again. When the disciples were separated from Jesus, when he returned to his Father in heaven, they were told, this same Jesus who's been taken from you, will come back. At the end of his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote a a phrase which was clearly on the lips of Christians all the time. Come, O Lord. And the Bible itself ends in the last book, the book of Revelation, the final chapter, 22. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the final prayer of the Bible. Yes, the greatest longing of the early Christians was for the Lord Jesus to return. They awaited it eagerly, for it would mean the end of the age. Death would be no more. They would inherit the kingdom the Lord had prepared for them. That kingdom had been a hope and a promise ever since the time of the Old Testament prophets. And that's why we read a passage from Isaiah this morning, about that prospect of the kingdom of God. A wonderful time, which Isaiah spells out. In the last days, God would rule over the nations in peace and justice, and there would be harmony on earth. That vision is repeated practically word for word in another book of the Old Testament, the prophet Micah, who was a younger contemporary of Isaiah, and uh, perhaps both of them got it from an even older prophecy. Who knows? 
but it's clear that right there at the centre of the Old Testament prophecy is a glorious vision of swords being beaten into plowshares and spears turned into pruning hooks. And that dream, that vision of a world of peace and unity has continued down the ages. People have never lost that hope and it's, uh, it's there on the text of the United Nations building in our own day and inspired the speeches of Martin Luther King and others. But the distinctive thing for the early Christians was their belief that the birth of Jesus had actually ushered in these last days. We read in the opening words of the letter to the Hebrews, in the past God spake to our forefathers through the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son. And you remember how in Luke's Gospel we read that at the birth of Jesus the angels were announcing that he would bring peace on earth. That uh, this was the one who was to bring the fulfillment. of the, He was the Messiah, the Christ, the one who would be God's anointed ruler over the nations. And yet it didn't work out like that. Jesus was crucified. A generation later the temple itself was destroyed in Jerusalem as a result of a bloody rebellion by the Jews against the Romans and we know how down the ages wars, conflict and oppression has never ceased the last century saw more deaths through warfare than, en- than the whole of previous human history and so we have to look at the question were the angels singing the wrong song at Bethlehem was it a mistake that this was to be the Prince of Peace. Peace doesn't seem to have arrived very much as we look at the world around us today. You remember how that carol, it came upon the midnight clear, sighs over the fact that wars continue and people don't listen to the song of the angels. There's been 2,000 years of wrong and man at war with man is not the love song the angels sing. But that carol does end up by reasserting that there will be a time foretold by the prophets of old when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendours fling and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. Is that just a dream which humanity keeps alive because it can't bear to contemplate the alternative? It seems very much written into our DNA that somehow we are going to achieve peace on earth. But how realistic is that dream? Well, in one vital respect, that carol I've just been quoting uh, actually gets the message of the angels a bit wrong. As indeed do many of the Christmas cards that we are now busily preparing to to send to each other. Peace on earth, they say, as if that was all the angels were singing about. A quick check at Luke 2.14 will reveal that the recorded words of the angel were Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. Before 
the swords are turned into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. The people say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and he will teach us his ways. You see, the prophet had it right. He said, it's only when the nations go to the mountain of the Lord and seek his ways and his justice that this vision will be realized, that peace will come on earth. Peace is achieved on earth only by giving glory to God in heaven and that's what humanity has sadly failed to do. That is why the Son of God was crucified and God's offer of peace through him rejected. And so can we really say that the birth of Jesus has ushered in the last days and the kingdom of God? Emphatically, yes. Because God honoured the ministry of Jesus and his self-offering on the cross by raising him from the dead in victory over the grave and the forces of death and destruction. And the church bears witness to that message. The door has been opened. The way back to God has been made. And we may enter into his presence and be born again as children of God. In the meantime, the world goes its way. Isaiah's vision seems a distant prospect and we don't seem to be making even gradual process towards it. But now we need to notice, actually, if you look at your Bibles and read that passage that was read earlier to us from Isaiah 2, that that chapter then has another vision immediately after it about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord in these verses we heard is a day of peace and harmony among the nations. The day of the Lord in the rest of the chapter is something very different. Let me read you a few verses from what, how it goes on. Verse 12. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. Verse 17. The arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of men humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Verse 19. Men will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. And verse 22. Stop trusting in man who has but a breath in his nostrils for of what account is he? There you have, if you like, the reverse side of this same vision about the day of the Lord. That day when nations will dwell in harmony is only achievable by the intervention of God himself, breaking in in judgment. Humanity is so proud that it continues in the conviction that we can fix things for ourselves. Whereas in reality, our hopes of a better world depend utterly upon God and his action. That's true of the nations. It's true in your life and mine. We can only achieve that honesty and integrity and humility in our relationships with others, which is essential for peace and harmony by God's own action in our lives. But God does act and God will act. And that is the 
the part of the advent for which the church is waiting. We affirm in our creed that Jesus will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. God will finally wind up human history, the story of man's attempts and failures to live in peace and justice. And on that day, he will bring the nations to account, as Jesus showed us in his parable of the shepherds. So there is, if you like, a two-stage coming of God's kingdom. There's the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem in humility, coming to open that door into the kingdom of God through which all may find peace with him. And in God's mercy he extends that time of opportunity for all to respond until the day when the trumpet sounds and the advent of the king takes place. Advent isn't just about getting ready for another Christmas. It's about the last days, about getting ready for the end of time, about our summons to meet our creator and being ready for that. And it doesn't just mean standing still. Waiting is not the opposite of action. We are indeed to wait and to look for that glorious hope, which only God can bring about. But in the meantime, our calling is not to remain idle servants. Israel's, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah's vision in that passage this morning ended with a practical exhortation to what his readers should be doing. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That means being faithful to the vision of what God is doing in the world and in our own lives. You are the light of the world, said Jesus to his disciples. And when we've seen God's light in our own lives, we can reflect it. We can be, as it were, a lamppost shining in the darkness. We can be a beacon of hope that God is truly with us and will, with us, bring many souls into the glorious light of his kingdom. And so as we go through this time of waiting, and we wait to celebrate that great action of God in sending his beloved Son to open the doors of the kingdom of heaven. We wait also for that fulfilment of his glorious hope for all nations. And let us pray that the light may so shine in us that all may see and know that we have been and live in that light of God. Amen. Now before we sing a final hymn, let's spend a time of, of prayer together. And when I say, even so, would you respond, come Lord Jesus. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So Lord, we pray now that you'll prepare us for your coming in the church. Clean out the unnecessary clutter of our church life. The piles of the dead habits the cupboards full of prejudice, the cobwebs of compromise, and the sad rotor of forgotten dreams. Open our church and all your people to the free flow 
of your refreshing spirit. Give us your vision and hope as we wait for you. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, prepare us for your coming in the world around us as the nations continue in conflict, as hatred continues to divide peoples. Come, drive away despair from our politics. Revive our dreams of justice. Restore our passion for what is good and right and true and establish your just and gentle rule. Set a flame to the fuse of justice where arrogant people have defied the moral order year after year in dictatorships and oppressive governments around the world. Guard the springtime of hope where your spirit has brought new life where people are seeking you and where you've given your gift of peace. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Prepare us too for your coming in our own community. In the problems of our locality. Motivate our care for this neighbourhood. We pray for those who are now of our own company walking up Lith Hill. May your spirit be with them and grant them the vision, the perspective that they need so that they with us may be united in our witness. Grant that your blessing may fall upon this place as Christmas comes. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And prepare us too for your coming to those in need. We thank you that you came in poverty and humility and that you are alongside those who are desperate and seeking hope. Give us sensitivity to hear the cries of those around us, whatever their needs may be. Be alongside those who are suffering, struggling with pain, illness, difficulty in their own lives. Reveal your love to those who are living in households of hatred and anger. And bless us all with the knowledge that whatever our need, whatever our shame, whatever our distress, you are alongside us in your love and grace. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the love of your only Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Now we're going to attempt to sing a song which uh, may not be known to everyone. I hope it is. Uh, Great is the darkness that covers the land. Do you know it? Good, some know it. So I shan't have to give a strong lead because that would I would only lead you astray. 